Hey guys, welcome to The Journey of Ruth, a discipleship podcast where we encourage listeners to love Jesus, study his word, and reach others. I'm your host, Courtney Lohman. Melissa Spolstra is a women's conference speaker, Bible teacher, and author who's madly in love with Jesus and passionate about studying God's word. She loves helping women of all ages to seek Christ and know him more intimately through serious Bible study. And she has so many studies for us to choose from. Melissa has a degree in Bible theology and is the author of several Bible studies and books, including her most recent, Isaiah, Striving Less and Trusting God More, which she just published with Lifeway. She is a regular contributor to the Proverbs 31 First 5 app and the Girlfriends in God online daily devotional. Melissa and I discuss what it looks like to trust God completely, why we can't earn God's love, and our need to develop a bigger vision of who God is, with him being less of a microwave God and more of a crockpot God. That's right. Stick around to figure out what that means. Now, as you probably know by now, on September 24th, we'll be holding the Entrust Discipleship Conference right here in Glendale, Arizona. I am so humbled to see this dream that I've had for the last two years come true. God is so good and has brought together an amazing group of nationally known speakers from all generations with the point of encouraging and equipping women to courageously step out as the disciple makers God has commanded us to be. You'll leave feeling prepared to disciple whoever God brings into your life and to lead others to do the same. We're going to have speakers, giveaways, a VIP Q&A session, and a live podcast recording. Plus, God has provided us with an ASL interpreter so we can serve those in the deaf community. This is something you're not going to want to miss. So clear your calendar and come with your friends, your leadership team, maybe your small group, and be ready to have a great time. Go to journeyofruth.com slash entrust for all the information. Now on to my conversation with Melissa Spolstra. Well, I am blessed to be here today with author Melissa Spolstra. Melissa, thank you for being here today. I'm so excited to talk about God. That's right. So you are an author and your latest Bible study, which I have right here. I love the cover, by the way. I mean, look at that. It's so beautiful. It's like like green. This is my favorite color combination, but the greens and the whites, but it's Isaiah striving less and trusting God more that just released with Lifeway on June 1st. Uh, So congratulations on getting another book out into the world. Um, Now we're going to talk a lot more about that. How many books, Bible studies? I was going to say 13 Bible studies, but it's not all Bible studies that you've released. Nine actual Bible studies and then three devotionals and a parenting book. So the sum total is 14. No, 13. 13. Okay. All right. I I cannot do math very well. Clearly that's why I just write. I write word. There you go. That's any math that happens in our home. I leave it to my husband because he likes to do math. Like he just does it for fun. And I'm like, that's, yeah, that's no, weird. I don't even understand. <laughs> I know. I don't, I, I, on the other hand, love words. So I get I can, where you're I can relate with you there. I'm right uh-huh. there with you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So, yeah, I've been married for 27 years. My husband uh, when we, is a Canadian. I'm from Texas. Okay. We lived most of our marriage in Ohio until just recently relocated to Texas. He is a pastor mm-hmm. and then all the, worn all the hats, youth pastor, family pastor, planter, campus pastor. Currently he's a connections pastor um, okay. in a church. He is very much a shepherd, loves people. We have four kids. We are empty, mm-hmm. officially empty nesters. So we, um, our kids range in age from 20 to 26. We've got twins in the middle there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also really have a heart for foster care. So for the past year and a half, we had a, uh, he was uh, 14 when we got him, 16 when he left um, for a year and a half, um, teenager. And it's um, first order of business here in Texas will be to get recertified, start over and get recertified yeah. to be able to do that. And we really have a heart for teenage boys because we have an empty house. That's kind of um, mm. something we um, get super excited about. So yeah, that's me. And the world needs people that are excited about our teenage boys who need homes because that is not the case most of the time. Most of the time there's a, an age where in the foster system, 
if they are not adopted out by that, they will remain in the foster system until. Um, but I also think even in the short term, which was our situation, hard. If my kids were little and at home, you know, mm-hmm. bringing a teenage boy into your home when you have little kids, where they can be the influencer, whereas my mm-hmm. kids are young adults, so when they come around, they're the influencer. Uh, and so we just feel like it's a unique situation to be. Able I love it. To bring I love it. So, Very cool. Now, did you pick Ohio because it was halfway between Texas and Canada? No, it's actually. <laughs> It's a lot closer to Canada, if you can believe it. (laughs) I just, that's always my joke. Uh, But no, it was that there was um, some relations with people that we knew from a camp my husband had worked at actually in upstate New York. And so when we lived in Canada, when we were first married and we would drive to Texas, we would stop and stay with that pastor. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Now, in looking at your studies, I was showing a friend um, of mine all the studies that you've written, and you have written a study on November, or November numbers and Jeremiah. You've written one on the characters of Joseph and Elijah, and now you're writing one on Isaiah. And I was like, this is a girl after my own heart. She loves the Old Testament. <laughs> you also have books on new or, uh, Bible studies on New Testament books. You have some test- Yeah. Why is it... I think I'm drawn to the Old Testament because it's a oftentimes our books to be studied. They need the historical context and the background. You know, the Bible is an Eastern book written to Eastern people, and mm-hmm. we bring a very Western mindset to the text. And I think I'm just drawn to the Old Testament because I know that God is the same and consistent. And so I want to get to the heart of that text and say, you know, if, if it's in there, when New Testament says scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching and training and all of that. They're not speaking of the New Testament books. Those weren't canonized yet. They're referring to the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's even a part um, in one of Peter's where he says, you know, the prophets were written as a, a warning, a light shining in the darkness and that we need to respond and listen to what they have to say. And yeah. so I, I guess I feel just from being in churches um, that often it's, they're neglected. Those books are neglected because they can be difficult yeah. and they aren't always organized in the way that, you know, our systematic way, they're more the Eastern way of talking, you know, in a, in a different way. And so I think I'm just drawn to those books because I believe they have such a, a such a relevant message, yes. Yeah. But then they aren't always explored, and I feel like Bible study is a great place to explore them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I I think that it shows us like a a part of who God is. Um, that I, yeah, like you can you can see parts of that in the New Testament, but um, you know. I love Exodus and and the faithfulness that God has to these people. <laughs> That like the rest of the world would be like, you're complaining too much. Peace, I'm out. (laughs) And God stays with them. That is a part of God's character, which for me was so clearly defined Mm. in the book of Exodus that wasn't anywhere else, you know. And uh, so I'm a big fan of the Old Testament and uh, my kids love the Old Testament, you know, with all of the stories and so much action. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, I'm a boy mom, so we need action. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So why Isaiah this time? What was it about Isaiah that kind of called to you? Yeah. So I feel like whatever I'm writing is wherever I'm struggling. (laughs) So wherever I'm Ah. at. And so um, my husband and I just read through the Bible every year. And so I typically find that that's where God speaks to me the most. And as uh, last year, when we are now, it's been a couple of years ago when we were in Isaiah, I just kept seeing this little subtext heading that said a call to trust the Lord, a call to trust mm-hmm. the Lord. And so I just saw that I really struggle with trust, with trusting the Lord and not trying to fix it on my own or over plan it or overthink it or overanalyze it. Or yes, I trust God going to make sure that he's got this, you know? So I'll just yeah. do steps A, B, and C, and then just say, God, could you bless A, B, and C, you know what I'm doing? And so I think right. I would say too, that this is probably a perpetual problem in my life that I'll do really good at trusting God in a season, maybe through uh, a trial or through watching him work. And then I drift. And I found that I drift and from talking to other women, I think it's, uh, I'm not the only one who 
struggles with drifting. And so I think we need this constant realignment. And really the book of Isaiah is this constant realignment to that theme of trust in God more. And that, and that our, our behavior needs to fall out of our belief. Like so many mm-hmm. times I think I want to swat at my back or, or try to change behavior when really what needs to change is my heart. And then as my heart, then the behavior is transformed from the inside out. And that's the message of Isaiah that really resonates with me. I feel like anytime you're making a life change, it has to come from something deeper. Like if it's, you know, I go to like exercising. If you're exercising because, you know, someone else thinks that you need to look better, you need to be stronger or whatever, it's really hard. But if you inside, like deep inside are like, no, I want to pursue a deeper health you know, in my body, you're more likely to stick with it. That same conversation just came up this week. My husband and I, um, the church are are part of a marriage class, a marriage care class. And we're doing a book by, um, Paul David Tripp on marriage. And he gave this example of an apple tree and it has rotten fruit. And every year it has rotten fruit. And his wife's like, go take care of this tree. He's like, what if I went out and I just cut off apples and I took three bushels of red, delicious apples from the grocery store. And I just nail gunned them up. And people people could drive by and go, what a beautiful tree, you know, and what beautiful Mm -hmm. fruit. But what do we know about that? That like, it's exactly like what you just said, that eventually those apples will rot. And next year, bad fruit again. Yeah. Is that instead of trying to fix the fruit, we need to get to the root. And that really Mm -hmm. resonated with me too. It's like, that's the heart and message of Isaiah. Instead of trying to fix the fruit, we need to get to the root. And that's stop striving on polish up the fruit or replace the fruit root of those things by trusting God more. Yeah. And I feel like also when, when you're trusting God and and that's really at the root of what you're doing or the root of why you're, you're diving into scripture, then because it starts at such a deep level that the, then your enjoyment of it is so much more, Right. you know? Yeah. Yeah, because it's not just a something to check off the list. It's not just an obligation. That nail gun, that nail gun's not pleasant. You know, just yeah. the behavior modification. That's not pleasant. And yeah. so, yeah, you're right. You're right there. And God wants us to have joy in His way, to believe mm-hmm. that His way is better. And and when we trust that His way is better, then we experience that. Hey, it actually is. You know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now I had the um, opportunity to uh, sit under your teaching, um, for a Saturday here in Phoenix, Arizona, you were, uh, talking about your new book, but then you were also kind, uh, kind enough to kind of give us as leaders, just an encouragement during the day. Um, you know, it was one of those moments where I'm like, she's here to talk about her new book, but we spent half the time, you know, her ministering to us as leaders about, you know, helping us. That to know actually how we- was the goal was to minister to leaders. <laughs> and it worked. It, it really did. I was like, wow, this is, you know, it's not like we're just sitting here listening to a sales pitch. No, I, <laughs> I went away, excuse me, so encouraged and, and having learned, uh, more from the people that were at my tables and you provided that opportunity for us to speak and meet other leaders here in Phoenix, Arizona. And, um, one of the things that you said that was really interesting, um, talking about Isaiah was that Isaiah is the Bible in miniature. I'd never heard this before. So I know there are some people out there that haven't heard this. Can you explain that? Sure. I love it. Uh, Isaiah 66 chapters. The Bible is 66 books. Mm-hmm. The first uh, 39 uh, books of Isaiah are more focused on just judgment. One uh, one pastor said, it is like God is afflicting the comfortable. He is, mm. that message was for Isaiah's day and his time and that, that audience he was speaking to. Uh, but then the last 27 chapters of Isaiah is more like God is the comfortable or uh, uh, he is comforting the afflicted. Sorry, the flip. Mm. He is comforting the afflicted because you think about, and it starts in chapter 40 of Isaiah is the comfort messages, comfort, comfort my people. And you're going to find new strength. And, you know, God's going to support you with his righteous right arm and all of that message. And a lot of times in a general sense, and this is, you know, I'm an old Testament girl and I believe God was compassionate and faithful through the old Testament, but just from a, from a big overhead view, when you Testament, the new Testament, the new Testament feels a little more gracious and the yeah. 
Testament feels a little more harsh, like God's afflicting the comfortable and comforting the afflicted. And so, uh, but also Isaiah is the Bible in miniature, not just because it has 66 chapters and they're positioned that way, but it includes every genre of literature. So it's got yeah. poetry, it's prose, it's got prophetic words, but it has a lot of narrative and story in it as well. So every single form of literature is encapsulated there, but then every major theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, redemption, forgiveness, wrath towards sin. Every major spiritual theme in scripture is found in the pages of Isaiah. It is the it is quoted more than all the other prophets put together in the New Testament. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just find Paul referring to it, Peter referring to it. I mean, every every New Testament author is bringing out referring to Isaiah. And then also fascinating that um commentators call it the fifth gospel because. Man, I, I think I'd always heard there's a lot of Jesus in Isaiah, but until I really got my face in the book, did I realize, wow, I mean, there are these four servants I didn't know existed that are in the pages of Isaiah that really speak about Jesus as the suffering servant. And so many mm-hmm. Old Testament books do, of course, point Jesus in reference and talk about the coming Messiah. But uh, but this particular um, one is just um, more about his suffering and yeah. his death. And I was just in a coffee shop last week because I had heard someone say that often modern day Jewish rabbis stop at Isaiah 52. They don't want to get to Isaiah 53, which um, if, if you're not familiar, is the chapter where it talks about man of sorrows. And, you know, it's this, I mean, detailed description of Christ on the cross. Mm-hmm. And um, some people have said that if we didn't have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we would know a lot about Jesus pages of Isaiah. And so I had this waitress and who it was a, um, had just come to know Christ earlier that year, but grew wow. up as an Orthodox, Orthodox Jew. And I said, Hey, I've heard this thing about Isaiah. And she goes, oh, they always stop at 52. I go like, for real, like you can document that. I can say it. She goes hundred percent grew up as an Orthodox Jew. We stopped at 52. Um, and now as a Christian, I know why. And wow. so I just thought that was fascinating. So interesting, you know, and I think what the, so in New Testament literature, of course, they quote the Old Testament because that's what they had. That's what they learned from that. Everything was taken from there. And one of the things about Isaiah is as you're reading through it, um, I know I've like read through it and then gone, oh, that's where that's from. Oh, that wait, wait, right. cause they, you know, they don't say, well, oh, sometimes yeah. they do from the book of Isaiah, blah, blah. Uh, but most of the time it's just given as like a, a quote. An Jesus illusion, says, call it an illusion. So they'll have yeah. like, there are some times where there's a direct quote, but sometimes mm-hmm. just alluding to it. They're not word perfectly quoting Isaiah. So yeah. there's not necessarily cross reference there, but the idea is there. Yes. And so you're reading it going, oh, that's there. Oh, wait, that's there. And and those are the things that I think are fun as the reader of an Old Testament book is to see the moments when it connects to what you've read in the new Testament and to, and that's when you begin to realize they are not two separate sections that have nothing to do with one another. They are intimately, (laughs) you know, connected in so many ways. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to read like a beginning portion. It's just the, the front part of your book. Um, but I loved the encouragement that you had for us as the reader and, um, only because I was like, yeah, this is me. Uh, you said, um, you know, how many times have we, uh, white knuckled at grasping this behavior modification? You, you already referred to this at the beginning, but, uh, it says, I can tell you how it has worked for me. My attempts at heart transformation have left me with guilt and frustration, and they have caused me to go backwards rather than forwards in intimacy with God. When I've succeeded in the short term, I've often become prideful. Then in moments of failure, I've experienced shame and God doesn't want either of these postures for us. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. How many times do we succeed? And we're like, yeah, look at how good I'm doing. And then we allow us to, we beat ourselves up when we're not, you know, when we're failing. So how can we bring about this spiritual, you know, life change and, and keep from depending on our own, you know, our own power and instead depend on God. I know it just seems like a simple question, but I no, mean, that's, I a, that's a super complicated uh, question <laughs> because I don't think it's, this is the thing. It's not formulaic that I'd love mm. to say step one, step two, step three, put 
write it down. Here's exactly how to trust God. It's a real relationship with the real God. And so he's alive and he's active and he's put Holy Spirit in us. He's given us his word. But I mean, if I were to give, I think the one thing in my life that helps me stop striving and trusting God is growing a bigger vision of God. And that's oh. one of the things Isaiah's word is called. It's called a vision. It's Isaiah's vision of God. He actually, in chapter six, goes in and sees God in his holy temple. And he doesn't say, wow is me. Hey, God. He says, woe is me. And he's like, I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, what can I do? And of course, God, you know, the angel brings the coal to his, to his lips and, and cleanses him. And so I think to trust God more, we have to know him more and believe he is who he says he is. And so when my vision of God is bigger, I can trust him. But when I've gotten away from who he is, when maybe the media, maybe the, the Netflix shows I'm watching or the books I'm reading or the, I've skipped my quiet time or, you know, any, when that gets out of balance, I, it, it's a belief issue. I, 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 of course I can say, I believe, I love God, but it is a continual relationship that needs to be nurtured and developed. Yeah. And so that, I hope that Isaiah's message as we get into it you know, we're going to find God is better than we ever imagined and that he really loves us. And that even in his discipline, even in the commands that he gives us, we can trust his commands because they're for our good. We can even trust mm. his discipline to say it is gracious of him to not leave us on the path toward heartache, but yeah. to pull us back and, and to allow pain. And you know, to remember, I was studying uh, the Beatitudes for some, another project that I'm working on. And, you know, Jesus has such a reverse economy. He says, blessed mm -hmm. are the people that are poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who are mourning, you know, and, and do we really believe that? Or do we believe that what the world says that blessed right. are the people that are rich and famous and have everything they want. And for women, I think for us, who's, who has the perfect toned body, you know, like all of that, you know, coming at us through all of the media that can start to seep in and cloud our worldview. So I think the mm -hmm. best way for us to strive less and trust more is to just get a better vision of who God is. And, and that will, that can't help but change us. Yeah. Well, and I think if we have a more complete idea of who God is, then we can be more forgiving of ourselves because we can see that he is a God who forgives. And so when we fail, God's like, I know, and it's okay that you fail. And it reminds you that you need me. Yeah. <laughs> Use the, hum I call it the humility plan. Cause I used to really struggle with just shame over any, doing anything wrong, you know, okay. super professional. And then I realized I'm on the, I say it all the time. I'm on the humility plan. Yep. I messed that up. Just reminds me that I need God. Mm. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I think as Christians, this whole trying to be trying to come off, like we've got it all together or trying to come off, like we don't make mistakes or trying to come off. Like we always say, or do the right things is about the most unchristian thing ever, because if we do it all right, we wouldn't need it. I know life can be hard and it becomes even more difficult when you feel like you're walking alone with no one to turn to. So I created the play process, a four-step guide for finding a mentor or a discipler. Pray, look, ask, and act. Our play process includes a worksheet which walks you through each step using scripture and prayer prompts. The Play Process Worksheet is available for free on our website at journeyofruthpodcast.com slash download. My prayer, friends, is that no one feels alone in this world, and this is just a small way that I can help you find hope for today and tomorrow. So go download the worksheet and begin your walk through the play process today. Okay, talk to those women who have those perfectionist tendencies. Uh, how do we set those aside, um, and, and, and be 100% ourselves when we're with God and not try to be a more perfect version of ourselves? Yeah. I think it goes back to what I said before about the vision of God, because mm -hmm. when I read his word and realize he's not asking perfection of me, anything behavior related is out of a transformed heart and life. And his, he, he not only tells us you know, what is expected, but he gives us the very power that we need to do it. Mm -hmm. So when, when we're in our perfectionists trying to please him, uh, you know, one of the stories that I tell in, in the book is, uh, you know, what if one of my kids or one of your kids, you 
I don't know if you have chores for them. We had these chore charts. Yeah. And you know, what if they didn't do their chores for a couple of weeks and they came to me and were like, Hey, if I do all my chores and maybe I do some, of my sister's chores, can I stay in the family? We would be like, what? Yeah. You're because you're part of the family, not because so, so that you're allowed to be in it. Mm-hmm. And we would think that was ridiculous for our children, you know, to be thinking they had to earn their place in our family. But yet we bring that spiritually into our walk with God to where instead of, yeah, we're working for the kingdom, we're trying to make disciples, we're trying to love and serve and value the vulnerable and do all of that, not, not to earn approval and his love. So he'll, so he'll accept because he already has, and we're part of the family. And so, yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a good reminder. I mean, even for anyone, if we deal with perfectionism, you know, that, that's a beautiful picture, <laughs> uh, you know, of, and even just understanding who we are, God, who God has said we are as mm. his children, um, yes. as, uh, sons and daughters of Christ. Yes. Um, in your, in your new study, you encourage women to trust several facets of God. In fact, that's how you separated out your study, um, is like these different like facets of God that Isaiah is pointing out, um, what do you see in Isaiah that allows us to trust that every, the, the fullness of who God is? Yeah. Well, I mean, I started with trusting his character because I think to start there, because if his character isn't worthy of trust, you know, and, and I do have trust issues because there are times where we have put our trust, maybe in a parent who really let us down or maybe in someone we thought was going to love us forever. And then they left us mm-hmm. or we put our, our health and it filled us. So, uh, so first we have to go, is he good? And I think that question comes up so much because life doesn't always feel good. Like my daughter, uh, when she was 12, lost all of her hair, she had alopecia Mm. that did not feel good to her. Right. Like, felt like if God loves me and he's able to do anything, why am I not getting my, how do I trust him? So So I don't want to minimize how difficult it is to trust when life is screaming and your circumstances are screaming, not good. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as we look to his word and look to his character, and it really bleeds into the second one, which is trust his calendar, his timing. My daughter actually did get her hair back, Mm -hmm. but it took five and a half years. And, and if he withholds anything for us, I do believe he thinks that this spiritual thing is better than the physical thing. We measure his goodness in terms of how easy life is or how happy I feel. And these are the wrong sticks, right? And so he loves us enough to show us they're the wrong sticks. So a chapter on trusting his character, a a chapter on trusting his calendar. And it's one of my favorite sections in Isaiah because it's narrative. It's about King Hezekiah and he has to really trust God when he's threatened with external forces. Mm -hmm. But then he has the test of, of, uh, you know, difficulty, but then he has the test of prosperity and he fails that he really has a hard time. Once things get circumstantially easy, he gets away from his relationship with God. What a warning to you and I mm. to say, you know, not to just follow God when it's hard, not to just follow God when it's good, but to hold on to him and cling to him and to realize, you know, and this is my joke always about God's timing. I want a microwave God. I want to pray about mm. something for two days and it happened. And I just believe he's more of a crockpot God. He just does. <laughs> he does things slow. And here's my, here's where the illustration works really well. What tastes better food out of a microwave or food out of a crockpot? Yeah. <laughs> would you rather eat, you know, imagine a piece of meat, throw the piece of meat in the crockpot, throw it in the microwave. Nobody's going for the microwave. You know, what's and- even better than that. The piece of meat that's been sitting on the smoker for 24 hours. Oh, well, there you go. See, that's even better. Better than <laughs> I love it. It's the smoker. Smoker got, oh, I think we're going to go with smoker. Um, no, no, I but, think you should do crockpot smoker. People will be like, so I'm dead by the time he answers. Yeah, so, yeah okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but I do, we don't, I don't, I'm not going to say we, I'm not on all y'all, but I, I don't pray <laughs> long enough about things. I don't, mm. I want God's timing on my timetable. Yeah. And uh, Isaiah just reminds us that God is at work but he has a big picture and plan and he is a holy God, which means other set apart. And so trusting his timing means that we can ask for anything, but Mm -hmm. then we surrender it. And we say, God, I believe your timing is best. 
when my daughter gets her hair back, if it's ever, when I stop experiencing this difficulty, when I, you know, all of those things, we will not find peace trying to control and manipulate the timing. Uh, also talk about um, trusting his commands, just looking and go, why does certain things? I think our culture especially doesn't like any rules. We want complete yeah, no. We want anything goes. And, you know, Isaiah's a pretty stark reminder that God is pretty serious, that he's not going to abide idols. He, mm-hmm. he speaks in very strong language against idols. And, and in Isaiah, there's this balance of, of hope and judgment. You see them interwoven together. And so there, there's commands and then uh, trusting his um, correction, you know, looking at it and going, when I feel the weight of discipline, what will I do? And, you know, will I welcome the warnings otherwise? Will I be willing? Will I be soft? Will I be multiple? And then I love the end of the book of Isaiah. It's all about trusting his coming. Just a reminder that we know the end of the story. Right now, yeah. darkness feels like our present reality mm-hmm. does. Many times, many days, darkness feels like my present reality, but it is not my fundamental reality. And yeah. just that reminder that there's a whole nother spiritual world and that it ends in hope and light and glory for the Christian. And I do think, man, the early Christians were more about this, more about talking about the coming of the Lord. And even if he doesn't come during our lifetime, because that was the question I kind of thought, well, you know, my grandma was waiting for the coming of Christ and my mom's waiting for the coming of Christ. And, you know, he hasn't come yet. So how did it really benefit them to anticipate? And it was interesting. I was talking to my adultish daughter about this. And she said, mom, what if it's during my lifetime and you need to prepare me or I need to be able to prepare my children or my grandchildren that Jesus is going to come back there, that we have this legacy of anticipation. And I love that legacy of anticipation. That's really important. Just remembering that Jesus did not leave us forever. He is Mm. going to return that he is going to return as a reigning king this time, not as a suffering servant. And there's a lot of passages in Isaiah that refer to his second coming, um, that it is going to be glory and light. And that this is not, you know, our, this darkness may feel like our present reality, but it is not our fundamental reality. Yeah. I, I love that the early church, they would use this word as a greeting, Maranatha. It's this Aramaic word that means come Lord Jesus. And I thought, what if like today when I hopped on Zoom with you and I'd have been like, hey, Jesus is coming. You would have been like, say what? Uh, yeah, was- cool. Um, that's weird. But like that was their everyday greeting. You know, the Hebrews, mm-hmm. they say shalom. Yeah. The, the early Christians said Maranatha just to remind themselves that, hey, this life isn't all there is. There is another life after this one. And I do think that gives clarity. It, it, it makes us think about how we spend our time. It makes us think about how we spend our money. It makes us think about why we should trust God and care more about his economy than the world we live in because mm-hmm. Jesus is coming and we want to live in that anticipation that he will return. And I, I agree with your daughter. I love that idea of a legacy of anticipation and also that eternal perspective on our present life. You know, sometimes uh, we just go about our our life really only thinking about day to day or hour to hour, minute to minute, um, and not really thinking about what I'm doing today. How is that affecting uh, the people that will still be here when I leave? How is that, you know, what will people remember about this? And I always, uh, one of the things that we've said on the podcast is that we are not leaving a legacy. We are living a Mm, legacy. And so when it, and I didn't come up with that, but I, I, I latched onto it because I was like, once again, if we are living a legacy, right. Or if we are, uh, leaving a legacy of anticipation, all of these things are pointing to us not thinking about here. Think about applying the filter of heaven to whatever we're going through. Right. So if, if it's a really bad day, because, uh, I'm in physical pain or emotional pain or relational Mm -hmm. strain, then the filter of heaven is, Hey, heaven's going to be no tears. It's no pain. It's going to be perfect. Say today's the greatest day you've ever had. It's, you know, all hope, all joy, all peace. Apply the filter of heaven to that. It's more, scripture says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has even imagined the good things that God has in store for us. So it's like, it's going to be better than this. So no matter what kind of day, or if it's somewhere in between your worst and your best, the filter of heaven is hope, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I love that. My kids, that's their favorite thing. When they're having a good day, you'll hear, just hear them go, best day ever. Right, right, right. And I think that could be what we do when we get to heaven. We just get up there and we're like, best day ever. <laughs> love, that. love that. Oh my gosh. Well, I think that's important for us to, you know, have keep that eternal perspective, which then goes right back to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is it's important for us to be studying the word and, you know, Old Testament and New Testament, because it gives us a better understanding of what it is that we're looking towards. Um, yes. And not just like, well, I go to church on Sundays and I do this because it's what my mom and my grandma did. And, right, right, right. You know, it allows us to meet Jesus on a very personal level and to make that perspective our own, our own eternal perspective, not what a church has told us to do. So um, what will we experience in your uh, study? Every study is different because every author is different. What can we experience as we walk through, uh, mm. you know, each week in the, in the book of Isaiah? Yeah, I guess my prayer of what women would experience is that they would just grow a bigger view of God and a more mm. intimate relationship with him and just see that his call is not for you to work harder. And he's not there cracking the whip saying, get on it, girls. He's saying it's an invitation. Say, like, come and trust me. Come and walk with me. Come and believe what I have to say, because this is what you were created for. And so that would be my hope that just counterfeits would be exposed so that the real deal, that the real true desire of our hearts, which I think for those of us who follow God, none of us would say, my desire is to die with the most toys. You know what I mean? Like we would say, I want to know God. I want to be intimate with him. But there are so many things in our lives that don't get us to that place. And I think going through the book of Isaiah just will expose the counterfeits in a loving and gentle way, hopefully, and um, just help us to, to really be transformed from the inside out. And that's a work that only mm. God can do. But, you know, we can set the stage for it and, you know, set it up to where God can do that great work. What does that look like when we're, you're, you're saying, you know, get rid of the striving mm -hmm. and American culture for sure we get gold stars for striving, right. <laughs> you know, and yeah. for working our butts off and, uh, you know, achieving and achieving and achieving. So what does that look like if we really capture what Isaiah is saying about trusting in God fully? What does that look like? How does that change? I think it starts in the mind. I think it starts in the mind. And Isaiah, Isaiah speaks to the mind. Isaiah 26, three is one of my favorite verses that says, um, Fix your thoughts on God and you'll have perfect peace, right? Mm -hmm. um, let the peace, it talks about peace. Uh, but I think it's it's a mindset change. It's not okay. necessarily, it doesn't mean you're not going to go after goals. It's not going to mean, I mean, the apostle Paul, he was getting after it. <laughs> That's true. Not to say that we sit around and go, oh, I'm just trusting God. I'm not doing anything. It's more of a mindset shift. I think um, it has been in my life because I've had some busy seasons here recently, but I have not felt the same um, that, so what striving looks like for me is it, not always just working hard. It's overthinking, mm. oh, excessive planning, trying to think about and ride this mental hamster wheel of, of trying to fix and solve and do, and it's not a place of rest. And really that, I mean, that's what the word salvation means, wholeness. So it's this, it doesn't mean that you're not, you, there may be seasons where you're resting. There may be seasons where you're working hard. Um, when I use the word striving, it's just that more the thought of my human effort, that I am doing this on my own um, for God, as opposed to bringing my mess to God and letting him work through it. So, mm -hmm. you know, striving less doesn't mean I'm letting my quiet time go. I'm still going to be intentional. I'm still going to set goals and, and reach for them, but I'm not going to do it um, based on what I want and my own agenda. Instead, I'm going to get in God's presence and let him lead me. And he's such a good shepherd. He leads us mm. to um, good places and he can open a door in two seconds that we may have dug hard and knocked on for three years. And so just to be able to say striving less and trusting God more to me, what it looks like is not trying to worry about outcomes, but just to seek, seek the master and trust him and then watch him do the work in us mm. and through us. 
Hmm. I like that. Don't, don't achieve for just the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's wise uh, for us to listen to. Now I can hear someone listening to this and saying, you're telling me to trust God. You're telling me to trust God. Basically all that you've said throughout this entire thing is the way to do this is to trust God. Mm -hmm. And they have experienced incredible pain Mm -hmm. um, at the hands of um, family. Um, Just like life has, you know, dealt them really hard uh, things to work through. Maybe even um, they have been hurt They've trusted God's people and, Mm -hmm. you know, God's people have let them down. Um, And they're like, I just, here's the thing. I got to protect myself. I got to put this wall up. I can't trust him fully. Totally hear that. And I just want to validate that that's really hard and that's Mm -hmm. stuff to work through. But what I can tell you is God will never will. He will never let you down. And even if it felt like you were trusting him and it didn't happen, was it him or was it an outcome you were, you were trying to force on him? You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I just think that my experience, I would just say, test him. Don't trust in God's mm-hmm. people. Don't trust in the church. Don't trust in your leaders. I'm not saying don't trust your leaders, but you know what I'm saying? Don't put in this your, case, uh-huh. the, the word, the word trust. It, it's a Hebrew word means the talk and it's about your place of safety. Where is your solid ground? Where is your place of safety? You know, mm-hmm. and, and it, it's, it's God alone. All of those other things are shifting sand, but it, it's, it's him alone. And so I, I would just say, test him, try, try putting your trust in him, talk to him about your trust issues. And, uh, and I, he is, I've never known him to break a promise. I don't know. Have you ever known him to break a promise? No, no. One of the promises he actually made in his work, you know, the, the difficulty comes where we're yeah. like, God, I want you to give me this amount of money by this date. And I've heard people say, well, and he didn't. And I'm like, did he actually promise you that? And, and honestly, when my daughter lost her hair, I had to really go through the scriptures and go, did he promise it back? He didn't. Mm-hmm. He promised he would be with us in the difficulty. He always has been. He promised that he would renew our strength. He promised that he would be gracious and compassionate in the trial. But nowhere does the scripture actually say, I will take away every trial. I will fix every problem. I will make life easy and comfortable for you. And yet this is what we pray for. Instead, yeah. he says, he, he doesn't even say if, he says, when, when. you walk through the fire, I will That's be. Right. When you go through deep waters and feel like you're drowning. So he's almost saying, hey, it's going to feel like that, you know, but you can trust me in those moments. I will not, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. And I can just mm-hmm. say, in my experience of 30 years of walking with the Lord, he's never, he's never abandoned me. Anytime I've put my trust in him, uh, it's gone well. The times I've put my trust in myself or someone else or something else or my own manipulation, it's been, uh, it's been a bust. In fact, one commentator actually said he would sum up the message of Isaiah as trust or bust. And I think this is it, right? I mean, everything, every time I haven't trusted him, it's in the bust category. Worry mm-hmm. that accomplishes so much, so helpful to so many people. Yeah. I mean, others are we making worry disciples? Is that good? Is that was that our plan? We're making worry mm-hmm. disciples, right? But that's what we're modeling and that's what we're showing, right? So, mm-hmm. like I just see what's your other option? If you're not gonna trust God, then what? What's what's on the other side of that? And to really sit with that question and say, if I'm not trusting God, then what? Yeah, trust myself, trusting other people. Um How's that, you know, I always say, I'm going to pull a little Dr. Phil here. How has that been working for you? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Huh. I I don't see success there. And uh, when are you going to realize that, you know, you can keep trying, but it's not going to work out. Well, I I know that that's a hard thing, you know, for some people to hear and to see. But I also thank you for your encouragement to, you know, to test God, to yeah, take it. that second and, and literally just say, here, fine, then here's all my trust, yeah. you yeah. know, because I believe that, that that scripture shows us that he will be faithful no yeah. matter what. And that the faithfulness is not dependent on what we do. No, it's, it's dependent on uh, well, what he, he said, said, what he's done. And yeah. he laid down his life. He sent his only son to die on the cross for That's you right. and for me so that we don't have to live 
with the consequences of our sin. That's why they call it the gospel, which means good news. It's good news. In fact, Everything. Isaiah itself is a book where there's so much prophecy that mm-hmm. was not fulfilled right away. It right. was fulfilled years later. Over time. We get to be the awesome. We have this awesome opportunity to be right. on this side of the New yes. Testament and yes. see how God fulfilled it, where you had other um, men like uh, Simeon, you know, and he's waiting oh, and he God promised him. Yeah. He's like holding on. God says, you will not die until you see the, the Messiah. And so he is waiting and just like he has this promise and he's like, okay, God, okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And he did get to see, you know, Jesus, but we get to see like almost more of the full picture. Now there is still stuff to be fulfilled. So do we think that God's like tired of being faithful? You know, like he fulfilled it, What you know, in the new Testament, he fulfilled some of the things that he said in Isaiah and some of the things he hasn't fulfilled yet. Nah, he's like, I fulfilled enough of them. I'm good. Right. Right. <laughs> It's just not who he is. Not who he is. Well, before we move on um, to our last question, where can we find your Isaiah study and um, find more about you? Sure. Uh, I have a website, melissaspolstra.com. It has all the studies and books um, on a tab there under books and Bible studies, but um, Mm -hmm. it's sold anywhere Christian books are sold. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Everything's everywhere, right? Because everything's online. (laughs) Awesome. Well, our final question is because we're not meant to do any of this alone. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of that real quick, is this Bible study meant to be done individually or as a group, as a small study? How do you suggest women walk through this? Yes. Yes. And yes. I think um, one of the things I think that's fun uh, is that all of the studies come with video access. So, um, so for every participant can go to the back page and it's a scratch off. I've had a few people emailing me. They're like, mine is all gray. I'm like, can you just scratch it off? I don't like on, on a gift uh, card or something, but it gives all the instructions here. So for every book that you have, you have access to all of the video teaching. So you can do this on your own and, uh, or you can, I mean, obviously there's a, there's a group leader guide at the end of every week. I think that there's something amazing when women come together and discuss what they're learning, because mm-hmm. it's one thing to hear a teacher, but I have learned the most insight from discussing together and hearing insights from other women and how the word is hitting them and what God is speaking to them. And so, and you can pray for each other. And, and it's just, I just think it's, um, it's, it's a gift of God to have community and so why are we going to refuse a good gift of God um, yeah. to have people to study alongside? So um, you could do it with two people. You could, um, I'm leading it right now this summer. And we had 66 women on Zoom the other night and we discussed and it was great, you know? So, awesome. um, so I think that it's yes, yes, and yes. Awesome. All right. So since we're not supposed to live this life alone in, but in community, who is it that has helped you along in your journey? So I have a mentor named Deb who I met when I was probably 24, young mom. And uh, she has been in my life for a really long time, 25 years. And uh, she was just the person that I always called when my kids uh, were throwing fits or I didn't know what to do about potty training or I was having a fight with my husband. Uh, she, and she always prayed with me on the phone. And mm. so I just left Ohio where she's from and moved to Texas. And the first week I was here, I had a little mini breakdown, um, just walking into a women's event at church and sitting alone and feeling alone and just having all the feelings. And I came home and I, I, I called her and, you know, she just encouraged me and prayed with me and uh, my two adult daughters live at her house. So I went back to visit them and see her for sure. But um, it's just been so helpful to have someone a little further down the road. Um, Deb would love me saying this, but she's in her 60s. And so, um, and, and another benefit, I think, for any young moms out there, you, know, you get together as a young mom with other families that have young kids and you try to have dinner and it's chaos. But what was so cool is we would have Deb and her husband and her kids over and they were middle schoolers when my kids were babies. And middle schoolers kind of like to play with younger kids. And yes. I was like, wow we can actually talk at dinner. And then as we got older, you know, her kids would babysit for mine. And then um, I would mentor her kids. And my husband actually officiated both of her kids' weddings. And then her kids um, uh, 
now mentor my kids, you know, in some ways at events and stuff. So it's just, it's just something unique, particularly, I think about having someone, whether they're um, in age a little further down, but even spiritually a little bit further ahead of you. So that when you call them that they have wise, godly counsel for you and they can pray with you. Mm. I I think that encouragement is so important. And even just hearing your story is, you know, proof that those people that are a little farther along, they, they can help us in our journey and, um, they can love us (laughs) in our mess and in our craziness, um, and be there to support us when we're having those struggle moments and then to cheer us on when we're, when we're having moments of, of happiness and, enjoy so well melissa thank you so much for talking with us today for sharing your insight on isaiah the the things that god has revealed to you and i i'm excited uh to see how women will um learn to love god's word more through doing your study and learning more about isaiah so thank you so much and uh, we appreciate all that you've told us today all right well thank you Well, I hope you are walking away from today's episode with the encouragement to develop a bigger view of who God is, who God is in your life, who God is in history, who God is in scripture. So many areas. Our view of God affects how we live our daily life and how we interact with everyone around us. In fact, If you think about it, two weeks in a row, we've been encouraged to remember that our faith in God affects every part of our life. We serve a big God. And so the question is, can you learn to trust him wholeheartedly? You can find all the links to Melissa's website and to purchase her Isaiah study in the show notes on our website at journeyofruth.com. On our website, you'll find show notes for all of our episodes, an opportunity to sign up for the podcast Inside Look, links to help support the podcast, and information on how I may be able to bless your church or community through speaking or teaching. And of course, our website is where you can go to find all the info about the Entrust Conference and to purchase your tickets. This week, come say hi over on Facebook and Instagram, and it would mean so much to me if you would leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and then click subscribe over on YouTube. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next Tuesday right here on the Journey of Ruth podcast.